This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A basketball tradition is established at K-State as the Wildcats become a new national basketball power. All 12,000 fans here at Bramlage Coliseum spilling out onto the court. A huge celebration as Kansas State, for the first time since 1983, has knocked off the Kansas Jayhawks in Manhattan. Bring on the podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubin joining us again from Colorado. Eric, how are you? Doing well today. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And our guest with K-State's game at Tulsa coming up on Saturday is the Tulsa beat writer for the Tulsa World, Kelly Hines. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on. And so, I mean, we all know Kansas State, uh, kind of look, looking back probably as the worst loss of last season when they lost to Tulsa and Wichita. So, and, and especially coming off the loss to Marquette now, I think K-State's going to have a lot of motivation for this game, at least you would think. Meanwhile, Tulsa's coming in. They've lost three of four, I believe, and, and this is kind of the last game of a tough three-game stretch because they played Utah Saturday. They get Oklahoma State Wednesday. In case they, I mean, is this kind of bad timing for, for Tulsa to have this game? Well, I, I really thought by this point in the season, Tulsa would have figured some things out, especially with its rotations. So, yeah, it's probably not the best timing. But, you know, once you get into December, you really need to have some things figured out. And yeah. with Frank Case teams, that, that just really hasn't happened in the last few years. So I think this is a really big week, you know, especially having Oklahoma State and Kansas State at home. Tulsa seems to play a lot better at home. I think that might help. But yeah, certainly not playing as well as they probably should be at this point in the season. Yeah, and looking, it's you know there's some some similarities from last year. They bring back I think two of the starters from the K State game because Jeffries was injured that game, I believe. Right. But Igbano and Taplin are back, and you know, are they kind of still playing the same way where they they want to play an ugly game like it was last year? Yeah, and I think, you know, that was, you know, not having Jeffries in that game, that changes things pretty dramatically when you have him back. He had, you know, an injury uh, that kept him out for several games last year, and he's really the best player on this team. And he certainly, you know, has been the most athletic, but he kind of has transformed from a super athletic guy to a really good basketball player. So 
he's definitely somebody who can um, make a difference in this game. You know, Martin Zigbanu uh, obviously played last year, and they do a, a lot, you know, with the, their big guys. And Sterling Kaplan uh, runs the show. So certainly, you know, some familiar faces, but having Jeffries in there makes it a lot different. Yeah, yeah, I was studying for this podcast, and I watched a little bit of the UT Arlington game, and, and Jeffries kind of caught fire there. And it seemed like he's the one who really gets them going when they're playing well. Yeah, he brings a lot of energy. You know, he has some of the big plays. You know, he, he obviously, I mentioned he has a lot of athleticism. He, he can sky high for some dunks and make some really crazy plays. But, you know, he's worked a lot on his outside shot. And, you know, he's a very quiet guy. He's worked on becoming a lot more vocal. He, he's a senior, only a couple seniors on this team. So he's kind of been challenged by the coaching staff to take on a bigger role and not just be that quiet guy who can go off at any time. Mm-hmm. And at least in that game... It was kind of kind of similar to K State. Tulsa's offense seemed to be at its best when they could get in transition a little bit and could, you know, increase the tempo a little bit. You know, is that something you think they want to try to do? Or? Yeah, I think um, with this team, you know, defense turns into offense, and that really helps. You know, Tulsa has a lot of weapons offensively, but they can get kind of they they take some take a lot of three pointers. It doesn't always work out well for them. You know, I think that they can kind of get stagnant on offense, and that has not been a good thing. So I think you know when when their defense leads the offense, they get out in transition. That's definitely the style of basketball that they want to play. And Eric, that all sounds pretty familiar. Say that it's about the same for K State. It sure does. Uh, it sounds a lot like a, a mirror image of this K State team. You know, we know these guys; they really live off of defense. And if you look at some of the stats so far this year, that's really you know just proving out to be the case again, where we're kind of a middle of the road offensive team in the college basketball landscape, but we definitely have one of the one of the elite defenses in not just the Big Twelve but the country right now. So. Our team needs to have a good uh, a good defensive day to have success, regardless of who we're playing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of reminds me of uh, last year's game. I, I don't remember <laughs> what the number ended up being, but I think Kansas State was like four of thirty or something on three pointers. <laughs> that just reminds yeah. me of how Tulsa yeah. has been in these last few games. Just not very good, but still shooting a lot of threes. Uh-huh. Well, in K State, uh, should be prepared for that after facing Marquette. I don't think they're going to play a team that, that shoots as many threes as Marquette does. <laughs> You know, you, you you might say that, but at the end of the game on Saturday, the stats bore out K-State and Marquette both went 6-for-22 from behind the arc uh, in that game. So yeah. uh, while Marquette definitely hoisted the ball plenty, um, we seem to have no problem obliging them and chucking the ball up ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but a big part of that defense, I think, is always forcing turnovers. And So, Kelly, how prone is, is Tulsa to give K-State some of those fast-break opportunities off turnovers? Yeah, it kind of just depends, you know, how things are going, you know, it's somewhat unpredictable, you know, you know, you look at, I don't know what the stats are at this point after, after last week, but you know, Tulsa has been a team that has been able to take care of the ball with Sterling Taplin. He's battled an injury these last few games, so he hasn't quite been himself, but you know, early on in the year, his assisted turnover ratio was pretty incredible. And then Elijah Joyner is a guy who's gotten a lot of experience playing behind him. Those guys have been able to take care of the ball. Some of the other guards, not as great. So it kind of just depends on, on the flow of the game. And once things go bad, they seem to kind of go bad and hurt. You know, K-State taking care of the ball at the same time, you know, they don't want to give Tulsa those easy opportunities. Now, it seems like Cam Stokes maybe is getting a little bit better at that, and, you know, as long as they can stay in there. Yeah, in general, I think that K-State's doing a decent job of taking care of the ball. They're definitely ending up on the right end of the turnover game against their opponents. 
you know, one of the things that we really saw uh, against Marquette or didn't see against Marquette that we had been seeing in most of our games leading up to that point was those those live ball turnovers, steals, deflections, long rebounds, turning into runouts, that kind of stuff. A lot of the turnovers that we were getting against Marquette were, were dead ball turnovers. Uh, and those are things you just can't turn into points if you're not efficient in your half-court sets. So I'm hoping that K-State can get back into the groove of things. And, and even though uh, Tulsa does take care of the ball a little bit, you go back and take a look at some of their games against their better opponents. And they actually do a decent, they did a decent job of taking care of the ball against those guys. It's going to be important, again, for K-State to manufacture points off their defense and get out in passing lanes and, and get those live ball turnovers. Mm-hmm. And then when they do get in a half-court offense, I was a little bit worried watching some of that Arlington game. Tulsa played a fair amount of matchup zone. Kelly, is that something K-State can expect to see? Yeah, that's generally um, their go-to. They've been you know, a little iffy at times, but when they're playing good defense, when they are very aggressive you know, with it, very intense, it, it's generally worked out well. It's just when they, especially if they are able to get a lead, they tend to lighten up a little bit and not play as hard. I feel like a lot of their issues have been effort-based. You know, I, I think that you see some of that with the team early in the season, especially when they have a lot of new guys. But when they're playing hard and that matchup zone is working, it can be um, a lot for teams to handle. Yeah. And it seems like they're not afraid to extend it out fairly far, but I mean, do you think they would do that even against the Kansas State team that, that shoots threes so poorly, or would they want to pack it in a little more? Yeah, they, maybe not, and not unless you know they have reason in the game to do it. You know, I don't think that they would um, start out with it extended that far, but then if Kansas State you know starts hitting some of those shots, then they'd probably make some adjustments. I personally think that you're asking for trouble if you try to extend your defense against K-State, and it really becomes a more of a spacing thing. You know, K-State's half-court offense really, when we you do see success in that half-court set, it's because we've got good spacing, and if that defense extends out and they can spread the four a little bit, it just helps with that. I mean, if I was playing defense against us, I just sit there and, and don't let anybody go outside the three-point line and just dare us to shoot over the top of you. Yeah, and you have some guys like Dean and X and Barry who can hit those mid-range jump shots too, so you don't want to give them that space. But I think, you know, in case they is facing that zone, it seems like Dean's got to be kind of the, the point man, right? Get him the ball and, and let the offense flow from him. You would think so. Dean definitely does a good job when he could get some space and operate around that high post and be able to back players down or that sort of thing from that high post, that elbow area, even the short corner shots and that sort of thing. You know, one of the things, again, that we saw against Marquette that really contributed to such a poor first half performance for Dean uh, against Marquette was that lack of spacing. You know, when we had both Barry and Xavier sitting on the on the bench because of fouls, it really gave Marquette a, chan- uh, a chance to play defense where they didn't have to be honest. You know, we didn't really have any perimeter, uh, any real threats for perimeter scoring at that point. So they were able to double down on Dean whenever he took the ball in and, and were able to get a couple of quick strips and, and that sort of thing on Dean. So the key for Dean being able to operate in the middle of that, uh, in the middle of an offense and, and really take advantage of that is actually other guys being on the floor. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Tulsa's not particularly tall i mean have you seen any indication of how they'll handle facing a a tall stretch forward like dean wade 
Yeah, I mean, you said it. They don't have a whole lot of height. You know, probably the best guy, you know, defensively is Martin Zigbanu. But, you know, if he picks up two fouls, then, you know, Tulsa's in trouble. You know, Daquan Jeffries has a lot of versatility, and, and he tends to get into foul trouble. He's asked to do a lot defensively, but, you know, just not a lot of size. Like, Martins does have, like, he seems bigger than 6'8", just because of, you know, the way he's built. And he's gotten a lot of experience going up against, you know, all types of guys. So, you know, I think that they have some options, just not a lot of depth, like having, you know, some new guys on the team. They're just not quite proven at this point. So those two guys, probably the best options. So it's like really important for them to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah, And unproven, is that kind of where Simon Falaku fits in? Because he seems like he, he's a big dude who can maybe do some things. Yeah. But... yeah, he is a big dude and, and he does have a ton of potential. It just you you've seen him have good moments, you know, especially against backups from other teams that maybe weren't as good. You know, I think that he uh, definitely has done some good things. He's a guy who picks up he can pick up fouls in a hurry. I think he had four fouls in six minutes in one of the early games. So they're working with him on that. I just think it might be a little early in his career, you know, for him to be somebody they can really rely on, you know, consistently. Yeah. And then there's, you know, a couple other guards we haven't talked about. There's uh, Jariah Horn and Lawson Corita, and it seems like those are guys you need to watch from the three-point line, but, you know, is that the main focus you're defending them? Yeah, um, Jariah is coming off his best game. You know, he had 15 points in the second half at, at Utah. He was a guy who coming in, you know, expectations were pretty high, and he has some versatility too. So I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what to do with him. And Lawson Creta is a veteran guy who he can heat up. He has the ability to do that. He, he likes that to take that three in the corner. That's like his shot. So he has been able to do that, you know, a little bit more consistently than in previous years. So those are two guys to kind of keep an eye on. And they have some young guys, first year guys, Chris Barnes, super athletic, likes to attack. Still, you know, still early for him. Same with Zeke Moore. He's a six seven guard, which which you know, he can do a lot of things with that. But, you know, it's been a work in progress for both of those guys early on in the year. Yeah. And, Eric, I guess, you know, for K-State's offense, beyond just hitting some more of those outside jump shots to, to open things up a little bit, what, what does K-State need to do to create some better shots and, you know, get some better ball movement going? Well, uh, you kind of answered it right there. Getting better <laughs> shots would come off, off of some better ball movement. And it's going to be really interesting to see how K-State comes out in this game on Saturday because – Anybody that watched that game on uh, this past Saturday knows that the ball movement was just not there, especially as we got into foul trouble and started to see a little bit of desperation on the offensive end in the half-court set and making some pretty poor decisions. So uh, we didn't move the ball very well last weekend, and then coming into a, a, against a, a defense in a matchup zone that it's usually pretty tough to move the ball against. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Honestly, we've got the we've got the team to be able to find shots if we're just disciplined in fi- in trying to find those shots. You know, movement in the offense needs to be pointed and intentional as opposed to just kind of shuffling around and that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's that's how you go about it, doing it, moving the ball around and being intentional in your sets. And we'll see if if Weber makes some adjustments uh, during practice this week and gets people's heads screwed on straight. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, another thing, you know, K-State has done sometimes this year is they go to kind of fun when they go to Dean Wade and a smaller lineup for guards, you know, how, how do you think Tulsa will match up against that kind of look? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Tulsa has a lot of options, you know, if a team goes small, they can certainly do that, you know, they have some ability to, to match up a little bit better that way, you know, 
just because, you know, they can use Daquan Jeffries really anywhere. You know, he's a guy who can play just about any position. So, you know, I, I think that it really just depends how the game's going. You know, as I mentioned, they're still trying to figure out some of their rotations, and that's been an issue, you know, really in their losses, just trying to figure out what works well together. It's just something that they haven't quite figured out yet. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how the game against Oklahoma State goes because I think that will yeah. be an indicator of, of how Saturday might go. Yeah. And one thing I know that was really frustrating for K-State fans in Wichita last year was Tulsa out-rebounded the Cats by 10. I think Sterling Taplin, the point guard, had eight rebounds, uh, which seems like it shouldn't happen. But, you know, how is Tulsa's rebounding this season? You know, it's been very up and down. You know, it, it, that's something that I think you know goes along with the effort. You know, I, I think that in terms of loose balls and rebounds, it hasn't been very consistent. You know, some games are, are good, other games are not. You know, they've, they've been out-rebounded even in some of their wins, you know, pretty substantially. So I think that's something that they're still trying to figure out, you know, because I do think that they have the, the potential to out-rebound teams, even even taller teams. And, you know, that's probably, looking back on that game, I doubt that Sterling Kaplan has had anywhere near that, that many <laughs> uh, rebounds at any point in his career. You know, just it was one of those weird games that uh-huh. you needed something random to go Tulsa's way for yeah. them to win that game. Uh <laughs> But, you know, it, it might be another game like that this, this week, you know, where, where they need something like that. I don't think Sterling Tavern could get eight rebounds again. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that, that that rebounding is something that they've been stressing a lot because it has been, you know, pretty inconsistent for them these last few games. Yeah. I wonder how many of those were off of missed threes and long rebounds. Yeah, that, that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Eric, what do you think of K-State's rebounding and just the effort this year? Well, the effort has certainly been uh, a notch higher than it was last year. I think the skill is there. It has uh, has improved quite a bit from last year. I think Moline is uh, is doing a better job of rebounding. The addition of Austin Trice has been huge. If anything, just to get everybody else to try harder on the re- on the rebounding side of things. Uh, yeah. Austin Trice, man, that dude's got a motor. Yeah, it's impressive to go out and he's not the he's not the biggest dude on the floor. He's not the most athletic dude on the floor, but he is just a ball of hustle when he's out there trying to get rebounds. But, you know, one of the things that you've been seeing more and more this year is is a Cam Stokes stick in their nose in there for rebounds, uh, a Cartier Jara sticking their nose in there for rebounds. So in general, I think that the fact that we were such a poor rebounding team last year was well understood by the team. And it looks like they've done work in the offseason to get better at it. Well, one of the things with Austin Trice, it's interesting. You know, he grabs a lot of those rebounds, and half the time I'm just hoping that he passes it away because if he goes up and gets fouled, he's going to miss some free throws, and doesn't seem to be the best finisher. You know, what does he need to do to be more productive elsewhere and get more time on the floor? Well, to to get more time on the floor, honestly, I think his defense needs to get better. You know, I think that. Uh, unless it's a late game situation where it's a close game, I don't think his offensive side of things is really a liability yet. I don't think Bruce Weber is going to see it that way. But what I've noticed is that uh, defensively, he's a little bit lower tier than like a, a Dean Wade or a uh, Mac Moline there in the in the post from a defensive perspective. So I think, you know, as he gets sped up to Division One basketball and, and the teams that he's seeing day in and day out here, you'll start to see more minutes. But I think that's really where it's uh, his additional minutes is going to come from is on the defensive end. Yeah. And I guess, Kelly, another thing that was pretty noticeable on the broadcast was whole lot of empty seats and I realized that was a Tuesday game against UT Arlington so I assume we can expect a, a lot more people in the stands on Saturday um 
I would like to say yes. Um, I think some of those people might be wearing purple. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, it, attendance has been an issue. This is my fifth year on the beat. It's been an uh-huh. issue every year that the games that you know Tulsa fans come out for have been, you know, ones that are a little bit more interesting than, than some of the others. Uh, you know, I think Oklahoma State, Kansas State would be the same way. Definitely some regional interest, Wichita State, obviously, or conference games um, like UConn. You know, I think it's just it's hard for Tulsa being the smallest FBS school to fill 8,000-seat arena. You know, that's just the way it is these days. You know, it's just not – it's been a challenge. Um, the fans – once they leave and realize how nice it is to watch game on TV, then it's really hard to get them to come back regardless of who the opponent is. Yeah. And really, you know, we've talked about this series where it's a home and home plus the game in Wichita. That's a, that's a pretty good deal for Tulsa against a school like K-State, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I was really <laughs> surprised by that just yeah. because it, it has been hard for Tulsa, you know, with football and basketball to get teams to come to Tulsa. And for it to be, you know, a three-game series with a game in Wichita, you know, obviously that worked out pretty well last year. Um, so I, I think that that worked out well, you know, for this game, especially to be at Tulsa this season and, and to be on the heels of, of a game, you know, at home against Oklahoma State, especially to have that, you know, back-to-back on the schedule. I, I know that Tulsa was very pleased with how that worked out. Mm-hmm. And so you say this is your, your fifth year on the beat, so you've been on the beat just as long as, as Frank Yates been coaching? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, I didn't really know him before uh, I got mm-hmm. on the beat and have been with him through this. And it, it's been kind of an interesting journey. I have no complaints with, with my dealings with him. He's been yeah. really great to me. So, you know, I know that fans have, you know, are probably hoping that, um, you know, there's going to be another NCAA tournament appearance soon. But I think that Frank is definitely a uh, player's coach and players love playing for him um and I think that that's worth a lot just haven't been as many wins as I think people were expecting when he when he came to Tulsa from Missouri yeah yeah what about were you disappointed when Kim English left he he's a seems like he'd be really he's a really fun guy to talk to oh yeah yeah for sure uh you know Kim was uh definitely brought a lot of energy being a young assistant you know I I know the players really enjoyed having him on the staff you know Frank has had a lot of really good assistance. You know, it's, it's uh, kind of hard to keep guys around, especially someone like him who, being young. You know, it, mm-hmm. we knew it was probably a matter of time before he got, a, a you know, another job. So he was cool to have around. I remember uh, when I was in school at Oklahoma State watching him play. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty cool to deal with him. Yeah, yeah, I actually went to school at Missouri. And so he was a freshman when I was a senior there. So Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, so what what about, you know, you say Frank Case has been good to you, but what how do the fans feel about him at this point? Are they in our patience or? I think they're probably being a little, getting a little impatient, you know, at, at this point. They're, I think he hasn't really won as much with his own guys, you know, as, as maybe they were hoping for. And that's like what I think makes this year such an important one. Hasn't really gotten off to that great of a start, but Frank's teams have t- typically peaked in January and February, so I think there's still a chance for things to come together. You know, this is a team that has exceeded its preseason projection in the American every year. So that's something mm-hmm. that Frank can certainly point to. But at, at some point, you got to think that, you know, there have to be more wins for him to continue to be given more seasons. You know, I, I think that finishing fifth in the league, you know, that's not a bad thing. But I think, you know, just being near the top uh, in the American is a pretty 
tough conference. So, right. you know, I, I think that they can finish higher than where they were picked to finish, which I think was eighth or ninth. So I think that they can exceed that. But I think that they need to be, you know, near the top for fans to probably be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's only getting tougher with Wichita State being added, of course. And now Penny Hardaway at Memphis seems to be bringing in some big guys there. Yeah, there are definitely like a a lot of, you know, really good coaches in the league, a lot of younger talent. And that that makes it somewhat, you know, you don't know exactly how that's going to go this season. You know, I think Memphis is going to be one of those teams that's going to be somewhat unpredictable with a first year coach. But, you know, you got programs like Wichita State and UConn and I mean, Houston is obviously playing really well right now. It's just, it's a it's a tough league and, and Tulsa has to figure out how they, they can compete with some of those other programs. Yeah. And so, I mean, Eric, looking at this game, I think you could maybe make an argument that this is K-State's toughest game left until January. Um, I don't know, Vanderbilt and Kansas City could be tricky. And then uh, Georgia State's actually ranked higher in Ken Palm. They're coming to Manhattan. But I don't know. I mean, it is, you know, it is the last true road game until January. It, it seems like it could be at least a good barometer of where this team is. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good barometer, not just because it's a uh, it's the last true road game, but really just seeing how the guys react coming off that loss at uh, at Marquette. There wasn't a whole lot that went right that day, and seeing if it if they let Marquette beat them twice, or if we can come out and uh, and actually play a pretty strong game on Saturday, will be super important to see. Even though it's a semi home game, I do think that Vanderbilt, uh, even with the loss of their high end point guard early this season, it was our point guard, right? Yeah. Uh, Right. Anyways, with him being out for the rest of the season, I think that game might get a little bit easier. But Vander- Vanderbilt's still a good basketball team. So, uh, as far as the actual challenge, just with the, as far as the guys inside of jerseys on the other side of the floor, uh, I think Vanderbilt's probably the the team. But uh, as far as environment and having to go on the road and play a true road game and that sort of thing, that's it's going to be important for K State K State to pick this one up. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear Bruce talk about after the game about how it was just a bad week of practice and the guys. Alrighty, but I mean, do you think we ever hear about any of that stuff if K-State ends up winning that game? I, you know, Bruce has a really good job of just saying what's on his mind, so yeah, we hear that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, I wouldn't put it past him to say that, you know, that something to the mm-hmm. effect of we got lucky or they came out <laughs> and, and were able to pull it together, but we didn't have a good week, week of practice. I, completely plausible that he would say something like that, but you know, it's... Uh, it depends on your frame of reference whether or not you appreciate the fact that he's so brutally honest about stuff like that or if you would like a little bit better coach speak and keep kind of those things under wraps a little bit yeah and Kelly going back to Frank Hayes I'm actually just kind of curious he obviously didn't leave Missouri on the best of terms do you ever hear from Missouri fans at all Uh, uh, you know, I don't hear from them a ton, but you know, every once in a while, if, if Frank gets a big win, you kind of, you know, some of that starts up. <laughs> or if he has a really bad loss, you hear some of it. You know, several years ago, um, Tulsa lost a Division Two team in, in December, and you know, it was, it was a pretty bad week for Frank. His sister, who he was really close to, uh, was having uh, severe health problems, and, and she um, ultimately went into coma and passed away. But he was he was gone, you know, that week of practice, and you know, you kind of felt bad for him because of the situation. And then, you know, he missed the week of practice, and then they go out and lose to a Division two team. But there were a lot of Missouri fans who came out of the woodwork for that, <laughs> you know, and 
you understand it to some point, you know, but I, I know that he's not as active on, on Twitter probably as, as he used to be because people can be, you know, not nice on Twitter. As I think we're, we're all aware. Um, so, you know, he, he has had to put up with, with some of that, but you know, doesn't really have to deal with a lot of that at Tulsa just because it's such a yeah. small fan base and, and people here in Oklahoma are generally pretty nice. Yeah. No one from Kansas State has ever said anything disparaging about John Curry since he left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we were all just so sad when, when Tennessee let him go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, actually my little sister lives in Tulsa and she loves it there. So. Oh, it's she a pretty great there. place to live. Yeah, yeah, she was an Oklahoma State alum as well. So. Oh, we have that in common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I guess just before we go, we probably should talk a little bit about what everyone on our blog is talking about right now, and that is, uh, you may have heard K-State's football coach retired. I Um, heard that. Yeah, Yeah. so just, you know, I'm always curious to hear outsiders' thoughts, you know, how do you look at at Bill Snyder, and I know, I mean, I talk to some people, and and they're surprised to hear he step down, and they're really surprised when they hear that the K-State fans are by and large, you know, glad that he stepped down. Yeah, I know that, you know, when you're not as close to situations, you view it differently. You know, I do have some friends who went to K-State, so I kind of know from, you know, how what they've said, how, how they feel. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, for people who aren't invested in it, when you think of Bill Snyder, you just think of, you know, him as a grandpa, and he's wearing his, you know, old cotton bowl pullover and it's cute and he writes those really nice letters to opposing players and sometimes to media members and you know it's things like that that you know I I think that it's cool that that is such a big part of his legacy regardless of you know the circumstances in, in which he retired and all of that and how the fans feel like I think from like more of a regional perspective not even nationally but just like from this area he's kind of just regarded as, as being like the ultimate classy, nice guy. So there's not really anything that could change that at this point. And, you know, I think that, you know, I couldn't tell you what his record is, but, you know, I can, you know, remember seeing, you know, images of, of letters that he's written to players he's gone up against and lost to, you know, I think that that speaks a lot about his character and, you know, ultimately that's, what matters, but I can definitely see how fans feel about it. You know, that's a completely different situation. Yeah, yeah. And Eric, I don't know about you, but what bothers me the most is some of the, you know, the, the big Snyder fans who are, like, don't seem to grasp that you can, you know, totally appreciate a guy, uh, but also, you know, be glad that he stepped down. Um, and I think it's been interesting to see the reaction. There's been a lot of just, like, Oh, you know, I really wanted him to waiting for this announcement, but now that it's here, it's like, oh God, what do we do now? So. Uh, you know, I'll, there is a little bit of that trepidation uh, inside myself. Actually, I, I am definitely in the in the camp of you know, I think it's time. It, it's not something that you want to do. It's not something that you're happy to do, especially given the circumstances coming off of a losing season and uh, and that sort of thing. But you know, it's it, it just it, it's time to go a different direction. And now that it's actually now that it actually occurred, I was like, okay, so okay, now what? You know, what's mm-hmm. what's going on now? But uh, yeah, I completely hear what you're saying, and I also uh, it's it's been difficult to see just the, kind of that 
that that mentality that if you if you think that it's a time to make a change, that means you're disrespecting what he's done for the last thirty years, and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. The super fans like 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 myself and you, we like we go we go watch the videos, we watch all the games, you know, we 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 genuinely care about Coach Schneider, and we and we genuinely care about the program and the university and athletic the athletic program as a whole and and everything like that and. It's tough to, to sit there and, and, and say that you need to make a change when you have someone as revered and loved as Snyder has been uh, and still is within the ranks of the university and its fans. Uh, it, it's tough to do it. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you kind of got to face up to the facts eventually. And you wish it could be different and no one's happy about the change. But at the same time, it, I, I think that uh, it, it's something that just it, it needed to be done. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kelly, I think this is the part of the podcast where we generally ask our guests to, to make a prediction. Um, I feel like Kansas State sh- should have the upper hand in this one. So instead of that game, since you're an Oklahoma State alum, I'm a Missouri alum, uh, I was wondering if you could give us a Liberty Bowl prediction. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is tough. I would, I'll probably go with my alma mater. I don't really have any reason for that. Um, <laughs> Except for the fact that it's my alma mater. So, and that's not a team I typically, you know, feel that strongly about either way. So, Mm -hmm. I just feel like I have to represent a little bit. Um, (laughs) You know, Justice Hill is now going on to pursue the NFL. I think that definitely hurts, Mm -hmm. you know, Oklahoma State's chances. But I covered the 2014 Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma State and Missouri. um, So, I feel Mm -hmm. some sort of connection to this (laughs) bowl game. I will sort of watch it. I think I'll go with the Cowboys. Are you going with your team? Yeah, I, th- I think Drew Locke's gonna gonna t- rip apart the, the Oklahoma State secondary. He's gonna have a big day. I can see that happening. That in no way would surprise me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Kelly. So we can read your stuff. Uh, the Tulsa World website and what's your Twitter Twitter handle if people want to follow along? It's Kelly Hines TW. Okay. All right, and hopefully you'll get to see some, some good basketball this week. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, guys. So, yeah, I start the wedding,